Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25. We're opening up to the theme passage. This is the theme passage of our sermon series entitled First. This is what our series is all about, and we're going to keep coming back to this verse week after week until it really hits you and sinks in. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 25, it goes like this. Therefore, I tell you, I'm going to repeat this four times, okay, until you get it. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. That is God's desire for your life, that you not worry. That's his commandment for your life, that you not worry. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. I already turned in my gym membership because he said not to worry about your body. And so I'm just whatever. I'll just be fat. I got my wife. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. You know, it's just it's a joke. Steward your body. And do not worry about what you will wear. That's my verse when I, my wife tells me I don't look good when I leave the house. I'm going to be like, do not worry. <laughs> leave how I want to. I don't care if it matches. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32 through 33. We're going to skip a couple of verses. For the pagans, we said last week that the pagans are those who don't know God. For people who don't know God, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek, somebody say with me, first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Amen. Last week, we talked about the importance of first. This week, we're going to stick with that theme, but we're going to shift the focus from the importance of first to the impact of first. And I'm going to do that with a very popular illustration. You might have seen this before, but it definitely um, is, is relevant what we're going to talk about today. As your eyes are fixed on this jar, I want you to know that this jar right here signifies your life, okay? It can signify your life. It can also signify your year. It can signify your month or your day. This is your time, all right, essentially, the time you've got. And uh, and in this jar are a bunch of small pebbles, a bunch of small rocks. And they are small because they are meant to symbolize the small things in your life, the many small things that we do and that combine take up a lot of time but really aren't significant in the big picture of life. You know what I'm saying? Let me make it relevant. For, for a lot of us, half of this jar is, is Instagram, okay, for a lot of us. Half of this jar is Facebook. For some people, the things in this jar maybe are video games, maybe it's, um, it's Netflix. And, and I want you to know that I'm not knocking those things. I think those things are great. I do all of those things. I think those things are fun. They need to be in your life. Um, I, I, they're small, not because they're not fun, they're small because, well, let me just say, on your deathbed, when you look back at life, these aren't the things you're going to be thinking about. You're not going to be so grateful that, man, I'm so glad that I was able to knock out season two of Stranger Things in two days. <laughs> like, woo, well, I only got three minutes to live. Nope. Woo, thank God, because I needed to know what happens to 11, and so I'm just grateful. That I know, right, right, not, right? They're just, they're just not those things, okay? These are, for some people, this is shopping or whatever. It's just, it's, I'm, not made, I'm not trying to poke at anybody. I'm just saying that's what these things are. The big, these big rocks, though, these big rocks are the things 
that are truly significant in our lives, the things that matter most, the things that have the biggest impact, um, things like God, things like your wife, your husband, things like your children if you have children, things like your goals or your dreams. The best way I, I, I like to, to describe these things is that these are the things in your life that you're going to look back on 20 years from now and, and say either one of two sentences, boy, I'm glad I did, or boy, I wish I did. Boy, I'm glad I spent those, time, that, those, 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 those days with, boy, I'm glad I went to my kid's baseball game, right? Boy, I wish I'd have went to his baseball game. Maybe it turned out differently. Those are those things. And so these things are important. Um, and here's what happens when we try to put these things um, in, our, in our life. Here's what happens. Okay, so we got the small things there, okay? And now we're going to try and put these things here, okay? And now we got this here, all right? And now we got kind of, okay? Doesn't fit. And for a lot of us, you're watching that thinking, yes, that is my life. I feel like I'm trying to squeeze more in my life than I have space for. And I want you to know that there is a way to get it all done, all right? There is a solution, but the solution is not get more space because sometimes you're thinking, just get a bigger jar. No. You can't get a bigger jar because there's only 24 hours in a day. It's limited. And you can't get a bigger jar because as grim and as gloomy and as dark as it sounds, guess what? Your days are number two. We might not exactly know what the number is, but there is a limit. We cannot expand the size of our jar. We can only make the best use of the size of the jar that we have. We can only use our life to the fullest. There's a better way. It's not get more space. Listen to me. It's get in order. Because look what happens when I do this. Boy, I hope this works, huh? I only tested this illustration one time. I feel like I should have done it more than that. Can I want to do that? I could go here. That's good, that's good. I can go there. All right, awesome. Excuse me a second. Now, you got to understand, the, the physics of this doesn't make sense because, because, the, because the rocks are still the same size. Yet, yet when I put the big things in first, there was space for the small things. You see, I'm not asking you to give up the small things in your life. Chill out. You can still play video games. You can still go shopping. What I'm asking you to do is put all of those things in the proper order so that you can still have space and you can still have time for the most important things in your life. Here's the big idea. I know it seems impossible, but listen, when you get the priority in order, the impossible is possible. And that's why last Sunday, the title of the message was the principle of first. But this Sunday, the title of the message is the power of first. The power of first. When you get things in the right order, you can accomplish more in your life. The order is important. And we know this instinctively, don't we? We know this when we move. Raise your hand if you've ever moved before. What's the first thing that goes in the trailer when you move? 
Yes, the big stuff, right? Because if not, there'll be no space for it. You never get the big stuff in the end. I remember learning that. I learned last uh, two weeks ago um, when my wife went out, we went out to a, a special restaurant. It was a super expensive restaurant. I don't go to expensive restaurants often because I can't afford it. But we had a gift card, and I was like, yes, please. And so we went to this place, and uh, it's my favorite business it's called Fleming's, and it was really, really good. And, and we had our steak, and the steak was awesome. We had some lobster. And the, oh. Sorry. And at the end, when it was all said and done, the waiter came out, and he said, would you like our world-famous lava cake? And I said, well, that sounds interesting. He said, it'll take 20 minutes to make, so you need to tell me now if you want it. I'm like, you're a great salesman. You just put urgency on it? You know, 20 minutes? I was like, that means it's going to be good? I was like, sir, how much is this cake? He was like, $40. I was like, no, thank you. Gift card is, is, is the limit. There's no more space on the gift card for that. But I wanted it. But isn't it interesting? Listen, he offered me the cake last after I had the steak. Because had I had the dessert first, there'd have been no space for the steak. And I think a lot of our lives are like that. We eat the dessert first. We, go to, we run to what's sweet. We run to what's filling. We run to what's good. We run to what's atta- what appeals to our eyes. And then by the time God brings around the thing that really wants to add value to our life, there's no more space in it. And we don't get to enjoy the trueness and the fullness of the life that he has for us. That's because order determines capacity. Order determines capacity. If you're taking notes, order determines capacity. I'll tell you what I look at when I see this jar. I don't just see uh, uh, big rocks and little rocks. When I see those big rocks, you know what I see? Probably what a lot of you see, big dreams. I know for a fact there are a ton of people sitting down in these seats today who are big dreamers, ambitious People, people who want to accomplish big things. And, the, and, the, and the, unfortunately, the, 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 the thing that will often come most in between the path of you and the realization of your dreams is the reality of your capacity. When you start to realize, well, I just don't know if I have enough time in the day. Like, I, like I have dreams. I have dreams for my kids, big dreams to them. Next month, they start playing organized sports, t-ball and soccer. And here's my dream for them. Not that they would play t-ball and soccer, but that they would destroy the competition. That is my dream for them. I want to be that parent on the sideline. Like, yes, that's my son. He's going to make it. He's, he's awesome. Yes, that's my kid. Woo! I want to be cheering. I'm going to go crazy. That's my dream for them. Unfortunately, that requires a little thing called practice. Practice is on Thursdays. Games are on Saturdays. I don't got Thursdays, and I don't got Saturdays. And you think Liz is going to practice with them? No. She didn't do sports. And I don't dress them. That's the deal we have. She dresses them. I'll do sports. That's a challenge. I got this thing I want to do, but I don't have the capacity to do it. And I think for a lot of us, we've got dreams. We've got hopes. But we're being faced by our capacity. Work is pulling at us. Family's pulling at us. So we don't know if we have enough in our life to pursue the things that matter most to us. If that's you, I want to encourage you with the brief story of the Israelites. The Israelites were in a similar boat. They had just gotten delivered from Egypt, and they packed enough food, but they only packed enough food for, like, you know, like four weeks. They didn't know they were going to be there for 40 years. God didn't tell them that. And so after the four weeks of food are up, they're walking around, and they're hungry, and there's no food to be found. And so what God does is he actually makes bread fall from heaven. He calls it manna. It tasted like honey. It was like a wafer. It was sweet. And they start to eat it, and this is where we enter into the story. The Israelites start picking it up, Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. And when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. 
And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Verses 19 and 20. Then Moses said to them, follow this, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. And they kept some of it until morning. And by then, it was full of maggots and it had a terrible smell. This is actually a lesson on capacity. The manna only had a capacity of one day. It was only fresh for one day. A lot like a banana. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one? I cannot find the time to eat the banana. Every time I bite it, it's green. I wait a day, it's black. I'm like, dang it. There were four hours from 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. That was the sweet moment to eat the banana. I can't. I don't eat bananas anymore. It's my, my personal stuff going on. I'm sorry. The banana was limited to one day. And as a result, the Israelites were limited to one day. Their capacity was one day. They can only connect food for one day. They're limited. Now, that's a problem because they honor this day called the Sabbath. It's God's holy day. And on that day, you're not allowed to go pick up anything. You're not allowed to do work. You're supposed to stay at home and worship God and love God. So what are they going to do on that day when the food is on the floor, but they don't have the capacity to collect it? Now they're being faced with a situation. Here's what Moses says. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Pick up twice as much on Saturday. And on Sunday, don't worry. Don't go out because that's the Sabbath. Don't honor God. Put God first by honoring that, and what you have will double. Let's see what that is in the story right there. Exodus 16, 24 to 25. So they did what Moses said. They put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, in the, morning the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or, or, or odor. Moses said, eat this food today. For today is a Sabbath, day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. I hope you're following me. God doubled their capacity. God doubled their capacity. It's an amazing thing. Like the molecular makeup of manna changed. It, it 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 was created to only last one day. And when they put God first, the molecular makeup of man shifted in a way that it lasted two days. And I only mention that because there are some people here today who say, you know what? Maybe the reason why I can't accomplish that goal is because God didn't make me that way. Maybe he just didn't make me smart enough. Maybe he just didn't make me fast enough. Maybe he just didn't make me good looking enough. Maybe he just didn't make me wise enough. Maybe he didn't make me relational enough. Maybe he didn't make me strong enough. Well, you know what? He didn't make manna to last two days either. But when you put God first in your life, the limits fall off of your life. The things that you cannot do on your own strength, you can do in God's strength. It doesn't matter how you think he made you. It's that when you pull him into the situation, you can do absolutely anything. Nothing is impossible. Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, I hear Paul's voice screaming out through the scriptures saying, I've learned the secret to living. Whether, in, whether I have a full stomach or an empty stomach, whether I, whether I have little or plenty, I can do all things through Christ. Whether I have little or I have plenty, whether I'm smart or whether I'm dumb, whether I'm black or whether I'm white, whether I'm Hispanic or whether I'm Asian, whether I'm poor or whether I'm rich, whether I have a degree or I don't have a degree, whether I can keep it together or I can't keep it together, whether my parents were good role models or my parents weren't good role models, whether they were divorced or they were married. I can do all things through Christ who 
gives me strength. Don't look at the limits. Look at the limit breaker. The things on your life that you think you cannot accomplish. With God's help, you can do. And then some. And then some. He's in the business of breaking limits. Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. Here's the next thing order does. Order dictates your passions. Order dictates our passions. I want to read you a passage of scripture. I know your deeds, Revelation 2 through 3. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the church in Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, verse 4, that you have left your, say it with me, first love. Here are some things I know about the church at Ephesus. Verse 2 says, I know your deeds and your toil. They were accomplished. They did a lot. We know that because even if you look at the book of Acts and you look at the book of Ephesians, they did a lot. They accomplished a lot. Their mark was left on eternity. You cannot tolerate evil. They were pure. You've never given up on me. They were faithful. This is a church that was accomplished, that was pure, and that was faithful. But this is also a church, which is crazy. Because have you judged them on the outside exterior alone, you'd have thought everything was going well in their life. But when you get an x-ray of their soul, you find out it's not the case. This is the church that's also, what it says in verse, uh, verse 4, that they lost their first love. How is that possible? How is that possible to be doing everything right, to be coming to church, to be praying, to be reading your Bible, and lose your love? I think if you were to have a conversation with the Ephesians, they would tell you it wasn't a sudden, sh- it wasn't a sudden shift. It was a slow drift. It was a slow drift away. And here's how I think it started. I think it started with success. Because you know success can often be a greater impediment to your relationship with Christ than failure can be. I have known men who have found God in their failure and have lost him in their success. Because what happens when you succeed is you succeed, and, you, and because of what you're succeeding at is what you're doing with your hands, you start to think to yourself, wow, look at all that I did, and I did it without God, which really you didn't because he put breath in your lungs to do the thing that you're doing. But it seems that way. And the more that you seem to succeed without God, the more you become to this conclusion that maybe I can do this without God. And all of a sudden, God, who was in first place, is now replaced by success. And that breaks my heart because I've been there. I've been at that place where I'm praying. I've been at that place where everything looks right on the outside, but really my heart's not in it. I've been at that place where, uh, thank you, babe. I've been at that place where uh, I have to fight to get up to go to church in the morning. That wasn't today. Today I literally woke up at 4.30 in the morning. I was so excited to come to church. I was also hungry. That might have been why I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, but... I woke up at 4 30 and I was like, no, I cannot wait to go. Like, I'm so excited. But I've been at that place where I had to literally push myself out of bed to get there. I've been at that place where I read my Bible, but it's boring. I've been at that place when I pray before my meals, but I only do it because it's a pattern. I've been at that place where I'm forcing myself to love God. And if that's you, and if you've been there, and if you can be honest and transparent with me, I know what you're probably thinking. What's wrong with me? Why don't I love God anymore? And I want to encourage you. It's not that you don't love God anymore. You never lost your love for God. You're still here. You never lost your love for God. You lost God's love for you. Because the motivating factor for prayer is not that you love God, but that God loves you. You got so caught up in the busyness of life, so caught up in the goals, so caught up in the external practices 
that you lost the one thing that got you started in this in the first place, Calvary, the cross, the fact that he loved you when you were nobody, that he gave his life for you when you were nobody while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was taught when I was younger that praying is supposed to be hard and fasting is supposed to be hard and fighting temptation is supposed to be hard. Christianity is supposed to suck. That's how you know it's working. Raise your hand if you grew up in a church like that. It's supposed to be hard. That's how you know it's working. You know, because when you endure it, it's your sign to God that you love him. No, 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 and no. Life is hard. Life is to be endured, but Christianity is to be enjoyed. I told my wife the other day, I said, baby, this fast is hard. I love her because she speaks to me with, you know, she's a combination of like conviction and like niceness. She said, okay, 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 but I need that to be the last time you complain about your fast. Wow. This is supposed to be enjoyed, not endured. But the endurance comes when you think it's what you do externally that merits God's favor. You have God's favor when you were like, I know this isn't everybody, but there's some people right here who is going to laugh. You had God's favor while you were backing it up in the club. You had God's favor when you were in the 70s, living in the 70s, and you can't remember 1973. You had God's favor. You had God's favor in the middle of the divorce. God, God, was, God loved you is what I'm saying. He loves you. We don't earn it. And when the reality of his love for us hits us, you think you got to fight to pray? I used to have to fight to pray. And now here's how I start my prayer. Every first five minutes of my prayer, I sit in my chair and I think about God's goodness. That's all I do. I don't press. I don't fight. I go, wow, you love me so much. Thank you, guys. That usually starts with me admitting I'm a sinner. God, I'm so, I am so bad. <laughs> I'm so sorry. My mind, the places it goes, the things I say and do, forgive me. I'm so sorry. And then when I start to feel his grace and his love, yeah, there's pressing in in Christianity, but you don't press in to experience his love. You rest in his love, and then as a result of experiencing it, you press in. But love comes first. Love comes first. Love comes first. Here's my, 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 final, my final point to you, and I hope this resonates. Order impacts the rest. Order impacts the rest. For years, I taught something. I even taught it here one Sunday. And I need to, I need to, and I need to correct myself because I was wrong. I'm preaching God is first. And for a lot of people, that means this. Jesus first. So we got Jesus, put JC, okay? I never forget the first time a boy called my house to take my sister on a date. I said, who this? New phone, who this? He said, JC. I said, well, if this ain't Jesus Christ, you ain't talking to her. <laughs> hung up, hung up like that. It was like that. True story. She'll tell you. Went down just like that. Then they'll say family. Family comes next, right? Are you tracking with me? And then what's at the bottom for a lot of us? Career. Right? Is this how you spell career? You know what the problem with this model is? Two things. And I taught this. You know what the problem with this is? Two things. First, if this is the model, that means Jesus gets the less time. That means Jesus gets the smallest in your life. The second problem with this is it's not practical. 
What does that mean to put Jesus before my family? Does that mean that if Justice has a softball game and I got a preaching engagement, I got to look at him and go, Papa, you know, I'm so sorry I can't make it to your game, but Jesus first. What does that mean to put family above your career? Is that, is that this, or Jesus, Jesus above your career? Is that like, I, I, it's not practical. And here's what happens. There becomes a competition between Jesus, your family, and your job. Jesus, your family, and your job. And everyone's fighting for more of your time. Don't work. Don't work. Sorry. Here's how it should work. Are you ready? Because Paul has a better, Paul has a better plan. Paul has a way better plan. Right, and I wrote these down because I feel like they would be relevant to you. So I want to make sure I get it, I, 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 I get it right. I get it right. Okay. okay. Career. Right. You got marriage. I'm just thinking of some of the things that we, if you're single, then maybe that would be relationships. Okay. Um. You got kids. If you don't have kids, you have friends. But once you have kids, you don't have no more friends. <laughs> Say amen, parents. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and then you have goals. Goals. Goals are the things that you want to accomplish in your life that you have to find time for outside of your marriage, your career, and your because they move forward. Or if you don't have goals, you're lazy and you just do recreation. <laughs> Four competing spheres of life. Paul gives us a better solution. Colossians 1, 15. Here's what he says. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn. Somebody say first. Firstborn of all creation. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. For by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things were created through him and for him. Here's verse 17. Here's what I want you to hit. Hit hard before, when you leave here. And he is before all things. He's first. But look at this. And in him, all things hold together. So he is first in everything. Here's the big message for today. Here's the one idea. Jesus is only first in theory, but in practice, he's not first. In practice, he's the center. And when you make Jesus the center of everything, listen to me, he holds everything together. You put Jesus at the center of your marriage, then when you get in an argument or the center, yeah, center of your marriage, and when you get in an argument and you want to leave, you think, Jesus. Jesus was faithful. He stuck it out with me, and he didn't leave me. When I made bad choices, I'm not leaving her either. When you put Jesus at the center of your relationship and there comes an opportunity to maybe delve into sin, to maybe delve into some things maybe you ought to not maybe be doing until you get married, you think of Jesus first and you say, listen, I love you, but I love him more. 
And he's going to hold that. And listen, by saying no now, you're opening the door to say yes later. When Jesus is at the center, he'll hold your relationship. Why do I keep breaking up? Because Jesus wasn't in it to hold it together. Why am I my fifth boyfriend? Because Jesus wasn't in it to hold it together. Your kids, your ki when you understand how much time Jesus wants to spend with you, you understand how much time you ought to spend with kids, you see your kids different when Jesus is at the center of your children. Because you understand these aren't just humans, these are future world changers. I need to invest in their life. And so I need to spend time with them and invest in them because they're going to make a difference in your life. Same with your friends. Your goals, your recreation, when Jesus is at the center of your goals, that keeps success from being a hindrance from your relationship to God. And allow success to be a thing that drives you on. With recreation, I want to have fun. I want to rest. But make sure Jesus is in that fun. Make sure Jesus is in that rest. If you put Jesus in your career, you're going to say that the scripture says, serve your earthly bosses like if you were serving God. And so when your boss is a jerk, you can still, but I'm not, I'm not serving you. I'm serving Jesus. And when it comes time for the bonuses and the raises, your name will be at the top of the list because of your attitude. Jesus at the center. I want to tell you when that resonates with you, man, it changes everything. Does anybody remember that song? Because you, you're singing, you're singing it now, but you're singing it like a different way. When you understand this, that he's in everything and that he holds everything together. Remember? Jesus at the center it all. He's the sad center of it all. From the beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Now, before we get into the bridge, before we get into the bridge, when you, when, when, when you know this, and when you really believe this, when, when Jesus is at the center of your life, you know all those things that stress you out right now? Man, I'm not married yet. Man, where's my relationship? Where's my career going? Well, how come I don't have a, a career yet? I, mean, I got a job, but how come I don't have a career yet? Why are my kids acting up? Why is it not coming to church? Where have my friends gone? Why have they left me? Where are my goals? Where's my recreation? When Jesus is at the center, nothing else matters. Nothing in Sing it. Cause Jesus, you're the center. And everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. From my heart to the hands. Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes, it's all about you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. <sighs> what has stole your attention? What has taken away his rightful place in your life? I want to invite you today to put him back at the center. Come on, right where you are, make it sincere, make it real. Jesus, I invite you.
to the center of my life. I want you in my career. I want you in my relationships. I want you in my children and my friends. I want you in my goals and my fun. Come on, tell them in your own words. I want you to lead this prayer. Jesus, be the center of my life, my focus, my hope, my inspiration, the one that leads me. I feel like my world is coming apart sometimes, and if you could just get up in it, I know that you have the strength to hold it together. Jesus, be the center. Father, for every person praying that prayer here this morning, I pray that you would remind them of your goodness. Remind them of your grace. Remind them of your glory. Remind them of your love for them. Show them how much you love them. Let it not be a fight. Let it not be a, such a sacrifice. We don't got to give up our dreams to follow Jesus, but it's Jesus in our dreams. We don't got to give up our relationships to follow Jesus, but it's Jesus in our relationships. We don't got to give up our friends. We don't even got to give up our career. It's just Jesus in our career. Hold it all together. Jesus at the center of my life. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to put Jesus at the center of your life, maybe you've never prayed the prayer, forgive me for my sins. I want to start new. Jesus, I accept you into my heart. If you've never prayed that prayer before, if you feel far from God today, if it's been years since you've come to church or maybe you've come to church physically, but it's been years since you've had a passion or a fire in your heart, I want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit would awaken something inside of you, that he would tug on you to let you know that today is the day of salvation. I want to count to three. And if you're in this room right now and you want to give your life over to Jesus, you want to put him at the center and you haven't done it in a long time. Maybe you've never done it. When I say three, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking. This is your moment to be private with the Lord. When I say three, I want you to shoot your right hand up to the sky right now. One, two, three three all over this place Jesus at the center Jesus at the center Jesus at the center Jesus at the center come on I see that hand I see that hand I see those three hands in the back I see the three hands up here up front I see the three hands in the middle I see the hand coming up come on put your hand down church why don't we pray this prayer with them everybody pray this prayer together father I know you sent Jesus to this earth and into my life, not just to rescue me, but to redeem me, to give every sphere of my life a purpose. I'm tired, I'm confused, I'm lost, but if you come into the center, I know that you'll hold all things together. Hold all things together, Jesus. Forgive me for my sins. Today, 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 I start a new chapter in my life with Jesus at the center. Amen. Come on, give some noise. There's about 15 people who made a decision to follow Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com, where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. 
or text Journey ORL to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.